Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Dowds. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We have got a great show in store. But before we dive in, let me take a quick moment to tell you about one of our favorite partners, BetterHelp. Y'all know how much I value counseling. It matters so much for us to take care of our mental, physical, and emotional and spiritual selves. If there are things in your life that are causing you to feel stuck or that are interfering with your health and happiness, BetterHelp is here for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can connect with in a convenient, safe, and private online environment. You can send your therapist a message anytime and you'll get thoughtful, timely responses. I love that. Plus, you can start communicating within 24 hours and schedule video or phone sessions. It really matters to the team of BetterHelp that they facilitate great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. And y'all can just go on their website and see their testimonials that are posted every day. It really helps you get a feel for what they do and how it works. BetterHelp offers services for clients around the world, and they have licensed professional therapists that specialize in so many different disciplines like depression or grief or stress or, I don't know, anxiety, family troubles, all of it. It means the right help is available for whatever you are dealing with. It's not self-help. It's not a crisis hotline. It's convenient, professional, affordable counseling, and anything you share is completely confidential. I want you to start living a healthier life today. So as one of my friends, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash that sounds fun. Join over a million people and so many of our friends here who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash that sounds fun. Today on the show, we have my friend Charles Martin. Y'all know and love him. And this month, we're getting to hear all of our That Sounds Fun tour live conversations from the month of June. So if you weren't able to make it in person or if you're in a different city, I'm really excited you still get to hear them here. We did save some of each interview just for the live audience, but you'll get to hear most of it, plus the live feedback from the audience, which I think is so fun. Charles Martin is one of my favorite novelists, and he's been on the show a couple of times, and you have loved those episodes, as have I. But I was so excited to sit with him live in Houston, Texas a few weeks ago. He has a new novel that came out this summer called The Letter Keeper After the Water Keeper. Y'all have read those, right? Please get them right now. They are so good. You're going to love the book, and I think you're going to love this conversation. So here is our chat from Houston, Texas with Charles Martin. Would you please join me in welcoming our guest tonight, Charles Martin. (laughs) Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. They gave you two cups of water. Is is that a thing? I'm kind of worried about that. Yeah. Are they nervous I sweat a lot, so it may be that maybe I just need it. They were trying to keep you hydrated back there? Evidently. Um, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you all for having me. It's awesome. I'm so glad. Repeatedly, when people come up to me and speak to me about episodes that matter to them, it's you. I mean, we publicly call Pastor Kevin the pastor of the pod, but you've like accidentally become a pastor of the pod. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that. <laughs> thank you. Look, every time we sit down and, and talk, I'm, I mean, I, I'm now somewhere over 20 books. I'm really comfortable behind the computer screen for weeks and months by myself. And I, I mean, you know, other than Christy and the boys, I just, that's my world. And then I'll have this public part of my life where I come out and put on my, you know, dog and pony show and do public Charles and 
And then she calls and she wants to interview me. And I, I literally think to myself, she wants to talk for an hour. <laughs> what am I going to talk about for an hour? And, and then she does her thing and we sit down and it's 75 minutes later or something, you know. <laughs> not and, true. Uh, well, it gets edited because I say the dumb stuff. <laughs> That's not true. But it's it, really, it is a lot of fun for me. I, like I've been through some of these now. Yeah. And I really do enjoy, I don't know if I enjoy all of them sharing this with us. Normally it's this, <laughs> normally, normally it's this little thing where we're kind of like, I'm just talking to you and I don't, I don't know. <laughs> this is a whole thing I'm not too sure about. I forgot to tell you when I invited you that there was going to be an audience at a live event. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that information would have been helpful. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, listen, I was reading your bio today, which I've never read before. My apologies. That's because I just wrote it. That's because he wrote it himself. He said, I don't really have one of these, but your first book got rejected 87 times. 86. 86. If you read The Dead Don't Dance, uh, yeah. that was a manuscript I wrote in 97. Christy and I sent out over a hundred of those queries and, and this is a pre-email day. Yeah. So a query was, you know, like 60, 70 pages and a cover letter where you're begging somebody to give you the time of day. Right. And then a self-addressed stamped envelope because you want to hear back from them. And we had 86 of those come back with no thank you. My gosh. I, I think people need to hear that because my, my first one, I have 40, 43, I think, rejections on my first book. There's not that many publishing houses, right? <laughs> Well, when I was in grad school, I studied a lot of writers, and one of them was F. Scott Fitzgerald, and he wrote a book called This Side of Paradise, which was rejected 126 times before it was picked up. And so as we started this process, I took a little yellow sticky note, yeah. and I stuck it on my terminal, and I, on my screen in front of me, and it said I was one— like, at your terminal? Do you own an airport? What are you no. talking about? <laughs> me and Tom are Hanks. Are you talking about the no, big like, box like, of your yeah, computer? Yeah, it was like a big wow. Mac thing. This is before I threw my windows in the my windows computer in the river because yeah. it crashed. Yeah. But I, I said 126. Wow. And I told myself when we get there, I'll quit. I had no intention of really doing that, but it was like a it was a stop for me. So we send all these out. They're starting to trickle in. I think I've got 85 in my file at home still. And Christy walks in. I'm, I'm, it's literally, it's been 14 months. I, I, I'm sitting at my computer about 3 o'clock in the afternoon trying to work on a book. I have bills that I cannot pay. This is the, I promise, I'm telling you the truth. I had quit going to the mailbox because it was too painful yeah. to have somebody else say, we don't want your stuff. And she walked in and she set the envelope on the keyboard and she kissed me and said, you're not a reject to me. Wow. And it's priceless. I can't. I can't repay that, but it did for me what my heart needed because my heart was broken. And on the flip side of it, I'm like, Lord, I think I do this well. I would love to offer my gift for the king. How do I do that? Yeah. And I had passed the point probably where I believed in me and, and she did. So I didn't, the point of that is I didn't get me here by myself. Of course. I had help. Right. What, when you're getting those rejections, because I think there are a lot of our friends listening. I, I mean, I know it from the VIP time we had that there are people who are writers that are working on their first book. How did you know not to give up besides that 126? How did you know? I don't know that I knew. I was desperate. I knew that's what I wanted to do. 
and I knew she and I were together on it. Like there was yeah. a there was a real intentional place in our life where I'd been working in business and they'd offered me this job and it was life on a silver platter and it, it was this we literally had a weekend where we fought all weekend because I'd been offered this big job and in her mind she's painting our new house and you know, driving a Volvo, and I'm thinking that's the end of yes, my Christy, love. Yes, Christy, get you a Volvo, girl. <laughs> but we had this weekend where we we fought all weekend. Not like I hate you, but who do you sure. like? Who are you, and who do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. And I was just desperate, and I didn't know. Like I, I, literally, I, I'm like, Lord, this is the cry of my heart. This is what I want to do. I don't have to. I, I can't make this happen. If you want me to do this, I will go do this but I can't do it alone. So I don't know, maybe I was desperate. Maybe, I mean, it ended up being us walking through this thing together. I don't, rejection is no fun. Oh. I say this and what if it's true? It's the deepest wound yes. of the human soul. It's the reason that the last thing Jesus says on the cross is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. It's so that when we as his broken, rejected children walk up to him with the deepest wound of our soul, which is somebody rejected us. Yeah. He and he alone is able to heal that thing in us. Mm. Yep. <laughs> um, How did we get there? I mean, we're like three minutes in. <laughs> I need you to know I just sat here. So, and I told Christy, she congrats on the Volvo. That's what I did in this amount of time. Um, when did you finally get a yes on that first book? <laughs> in nineteen ninety-seven, I wrote this manuscript. We sent it out. About two thousand, um, I got an invite to go to the National Prayer Breakfast. And in I was DC. on it in, in DC, and I was unemployed. And so uh, Christy and I looked at my calendar and said, "Yeah, we're pretty much free," and they were paying for our trip. <laughs> and it was a chance for us. So we go. We and we we go to the National Prayer Breakfast and. I'm pretty low at this point. And we had a dinner. The prayer breakfast, prayer breakfast is Thursday morning. We had a ticket for the, the regional dinner the Wednesday night before. And so we had two tickets to the Southeast because we're from Florida. So we go to the Southeast regional dinner and it's full. Like there are no more seats in the inn. And I said to the guy, I said, dude, I got two tickets. He said, <laughs> right. I, we got no seats. So I said, well, obviously some other region is, you know, so we literally walk across the hall uh -uh. to the Midwest. And it's, there's a lot of seat, seats open in the Midwest. <laughs> so we sit down, and there's this really distinguished gentleman next to me. And the only way I can describe Don is he has presence. Hmm. And he, he just has presence, yeah. unlike anyone I've ever met. And after having gone through the movie stuff and meeting some rather famous people, he still has more presence than all. So I sit down, Christy sits next to me, and he's wearing cowboy, he's wearing crocodile cowboy boots, which it endeared me to him immediately. <laughs> and we get to small talking, and he said, what do you do? And for the first time in my life, with nothing to show for it and no ability to say, here's how I prove it, I said to him, I'm a writer. Really? I cannot tell you why I said that. He said, really, tell me about that. And I just come out of grad school and I thought I knew what I was doing and I didn't. <laughs> and, he, and he said, I'm Don Stevens. I'm head of Mercy Ships and we're looking for somebody to write our story. Would you be willing to talk to me about doing that? Because there weren't two tickets in the other That's what I'm talking dinner. about. 
Yeah, no room at the end. And I said, yes, sir. So I flew up here to Tyler, Texas, met with him, and ended up writing that book, which was never published. But it gave me, it gave me a platform. It gave me a, the, like a, somebody paid me to write a book. Yes. From there, I met some folks, authors, agents. They read my stuff. They emailed me and said, hey, we'd like to represent you. The cool thing is, though. Uh, the cool thing. Now he'll tell us the cool thing. The those, 86, those 86 rejections. I've since had conversations with the people that signed those letters. For sure you have. And one of them was in an elevator after I'd won an award. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> My I'm guy. Just, you're like, look at this. <laughs> I'm just sort of sitting on the elevator kind of, how you doing? And he said, yeah, I sort of missed that with your sorry about that. Said, no wow. problem. Wow. And you didn't even have to say anything. You're just like, you're right. Well, I mean, look, if you, if you do this, and, and you know this, okay, if you do this, writing is one of the most humbling things that you can do because people cannot like it to begin with. Yes. And they'll tell you. Right. But two is every day we show up to an empty screen and a blank page, and no matter how much we have written the day before, books don't write themselves. Unfortunately. So... You, you know, and the, if the whole muse thing, you know, if you wait on the muses, that's total hogwash. Don't, if you're a writer, don't yes. wait on the muses because yes. they seldom show up on, on time. And even when they do, most of what they have to say isn't any good anyway. Right. So treat this thing like work, show up, put your fanny in the chair and sweat your books out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I am blown away at that story you just told <laughs> that you just ended up in a different dinner to write a book that was never published that actually started your career. So many of us are in between the dinner we thought we were going to and the dinner we're going to. Or we're in between that meeting with that guy and that, the day that they called you and told you that the Mercy Ships book wasn't getting published. Right. What do you say to those of us who, who know that there's an end of a story in the elevator with an award with that guy who was dumb, but we're not there yet? Well, my... my my and our prayer from the beginning was never, Lord, let me be the guy on the couch being interviewed talking about my, that was ne that's never been my prayer. My prayer has been, Lord, I think this is what you made me to do. Hmm. I do love doing it. If you want me to do it, I'm available and I'm willing and I want to be obedient to that call, but I can't do a lot. Of, I can't, I can't make those people read my books. I can't publish them. I can't, I can't. I can, right. Look, I'm horrible at social media. I can't even let them know that it's out there. Right. So there's a lot that That's I don't... That's why you got I, me. Totally. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how to... There, there's only so many things that I can do. Mm. The rest of it is up to him. So I'm like, Lord, here, I've just finished that. Now I need you to do what you do. And I, I, for 16 novels now, Christy and I have... And I'm not saying this so you'll think it's about me and how holier than thou and all that foolishness. I'm not saying that. But there's a scripture where Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if you bury it, it bears much fruit. I think you're the one who told me, and also, Charles, the thing that you bury in the ground is not the thing that rises up out of it. So for 16 times now, as recently as two and a half weeks ago, yes. Christy and I have laid down before the Father and just like given him this thing and said, Father, it's yours. Yes. Would you please do with this what you want? And that, like that's been my prayer. Like 
it hasn't been what you all think my success is. It hasn't been New York Times or movies. or We do pray the Lord make, make my books into movies, but not so that this happens. But because maybe he made me to write books and because maybe my tongue is the pen of a ready writer and because maybe when I do this, somehow his great name is made known to the nations. Yeah, to a lot of nations. Your books are in 40 countries. Yeah. 35 languages, something yeah. like that. I mean, that's like no joke kind of gospel stuff. I got a phone call from the guy in China who was translating When Crickets Cry, my oh, third Oh, which book. you know is my, my mother's favorite because it's about Lake Burton. I love it too. He's translating my third book called When Crickets Cry into Mandarin Chinese. And he calls me, we arranged for this phone call, and he calls me and he says, Charles, in, in, in China, we don't have crickets. I said, okay, well, what word, what word do you have? He said, well, the closest thing that we have that resembles it is a Komodo dragon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When Komodo dragons cry. <laughs> Did they do it? Is that what they named it? No, they ended up with something like when the insects cry or yeah, something. Yeah, that feels I don't closer. Know. I mean, I don't know. We <laughs> His second suggestion was a cockroach. I'm like... <laughs> No, not interested. Hey, friends, just taking a short break from this conversation with Charles to give a shout out to one of our incredible partners, Brooklinen. Now that we are in full on summer weather mode, I'm sure you're like me and living in new short sundresses and short sleeve loungewear. Did you know that you could also be living in the softest, breeziest and comfiest version of all those things and more in one place? I'm talking about a place called Brooklyn and you guys Brooklyn and works directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. So you get their amazing array of products at reasonable prices. Brooklyn and has something for your every comfort need ideal for a seasonal refresh because they're launching new products, colors and patterns all the time. I'm talking about some buttery soft breathable sheets y'all. I love their new styles for summer plush and absorbent towels, cozy robes, and comfy loungewear you'll want to put on and never take off. They're so confident in their core products that they come with a 365-day warranty. And fans of Brooklyn and are confident, too. They've received over 75,000 five-star reviews, y'all. My Brooklyn and Cheats are my absolute favorite, and the only thing I missed while being away on tour was my own bed with my favorite Brooklyn and Cheats. Well, that and my mini BFFs. The sheets are so soft and crisp and cool. So give yourself the comfort refresh you deserve this summer and shop their summer savings event happening now at brooklinen.com. Don't forget to use our special promo code, that sounds fun, to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code, that sounds fun, for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's brooklinen.com with the promo code, that sounds fun. And now back to my conversation with Charles Martin. Let's talk about this new series you're writing. We are the, a year ago we got Waterkeeper. Yeah. And two and a half weeks ago we got Letterkeeper. Correct. Have you already read Waterkeeper, Letterkeeper, some of you? Yes, some of you, good. I need you to. It's a good story, you should read it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the thing that you bamboozled me on when I started reading Waterkeeper, as I thought it was going to be this, the main character's name, Murphy Shepard, I thought it was going to be this, like, 
this guy who gets his life back and da da da. And, and it's actually an entire fictional story about trafficking. And, and Murphy Shepard is the rescuer. All right, two things. Let me give the, give the background on that because they may not know it. Yes, One yes. is I'm on book tour in Buford, Georgia. I, I arrive at my motel. My publisher told me it was a hotel, but when I, where I come from, if the door of the room faces can, the parking you're lot, you're right. You better preach that. It is a that. motel. Okay? That is a motel. My first clue should have been the glass between me and the gentleman handing me my key was about that thick. Oh boy. Get, anyway, I'm pretty low maintenance, so I get my key, go to my room, uh, throw my stuff in my room, go down to the thing and get a water bottle. I'm coming back, and my truck is the only car in the parking lot. We're not in a nice section of town. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this really nice Jaguar pull in, and it just doesn't fit. He pulls right up underneath me, and I noticed that when he did, for some reason, the sun shone on his hand on the steering wheel, and I saw his wedding ring. He sees me. I figured this out later, but he ran down to the stairwell down there, even though his room was behind me. And he did that in an effort to intersect me, which he did on this walkway at the motel. Uh-huh. And normally, like if you're walking and, you know, you're kind of, it's a narrow walkway. He was a big man, bigger than me and very nicely dressed. Like, I don't know expensive suits, but it looked expensive. <laughs> and like normally if you're coming down an aisle, you'll kind of scoot over and they'll kind of yeah, scoot over. walk the way you drive, yeah. He hopped in front of me. Didn't introduce himself. My radar is immediately dinging. Yeah. And without introduction, without hello, with nothing. The first word out of the man's mouth was, yeah, so I've, I've paid for some time with these girls down a couple rooms down, and sometimes they like to have somebody join us. Uh-uh. Are you interested? And, like, Charles is in the process of sanctification, but I ain't there yet. <laughs> and there's enough of the old Charles where my first thought literally was, if I put my fist through this guy's face, he's going over the railing. Yeah. He's going to land on his Jaguar, and I'm not going to be able to explain that. So that's probably <laughs> not a good option. Right. I was mad, and I just said... Uh, no. He walked down to his room. I walk in. I call Christy. I'm trying to unpack it with her. It just bothers me. And I think the two things I think the Lord did in that moment in me as writer, he gave me anger and he gave me compassion for whoever was in the room. Mm. 45 minutes later, these girls leave. And I don't know if they were 18 or 16 or I don't know. Okay. But to me, they were somebody's daughter. That's all yes. I can tell you. Yes. 15 minutes later, he leaves having showered, and I get to the book event that night, oh. and I'm trying to process. Like, I can't do this. I've just been propositioned to have a whatever you want to call it with those. With. So I just start talking about it, kind of like I am with you, and it turns out that the guy that owns the bookstore runs a ministry where he hires ex-Delta guys to bust down doors and rescue the trafficked at which one of the places they had most recently done it was my hotel. Wow. So we get to talk in, and that was my exposure to trafficking is happening next door in my hotel. Yes. Secondly, to that, I'm reading through Matthew, and I'm, maybe I'm not reading through it, but I'm in Matthew, and I, t- I end up at Matthew 18. And in there, Jesus talks about the parable of the shepherd. And I've read it, maybe you've read it, But it just struck me as illogical and inconceivable that the shepherd would leave the safety of the flock, Mm -hmm. the comfort of that community, Mm -hmm. the protection of that, 
and chase the one dumb sheep that got itself lost for the right. umpteenth time. Right. And then when he finds it, he shoulders it, comes back, has a party. And the reason for that is because the needs of the one outweigh those of the 99. Mm -hmm. And when you put those two things together, I end up with Murphy Shepherd and a, a book in which he lives a life in which you're worthy of rescue. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've since learned. I, I grew up in a home where I, my, I, I was told I was loved and I knew my value. I've since met a lot of people who have no concept. Right. And the fact that they, we launched this book two and a half weeks ago at a ranch where they rescue, there's a, several girls there who had been rescued. It's I'm, a ranch like the one in the book? Yeah. <gasps> what? Pure Hope Foundation, you can look it up. But when I said this about you're of value, one of the girls just, she can't believe it. She's just, she, she was shattered. So... I love the fact that the book is kind of reaching that place. And when I, when I sat down with it and I called my publisher, I was about halfway through The Waterkeeper, and I said, I think I've got some characters with some complexity and some legs. I think I could turn this into a trilogy. And I was lying my face off. <laughs> so we've since done The Letter Keeper, and I'm about a half or a third, maybe 30% of the way through number three. Is the title public of number three yet? No, and I don't really okay. know it, honestly. Okay. I'm still wrestling I'm guessing with that. it's a keeper because it's yeah, water we, we keeper, gotta letter do keeper. Something. We got a thing. We got to yeah. keep it in that vein. Yeah. How did you, in the books, in these particular novels, there is that. There's the trafficking side where you're watching. I mean, the rescues that you write are unbelievable. How did you even know how to write those? There's a couple that are at these, like, islands, and there's mansions on the islands, and how do you how do you even know any of that? I have a pretty good imagination. <laughs> okay. Some of it, I mean, literally, some of it I just dreamed up. Okay. And then some of it, I, I mean, I'm good at asking questions, and I meet people who work in this world, and I ask them, tell me about your life, and mm. we sit down and we talk, and years prior, I, I'd, I'd met several of these guys on a range deck in, or, in Oregon, and... And since then, I've just talked with folks in law, law enforcement who do this. So I don't know. Maybe some of it is me asking questions, and maybe that's what I learned in grad school. Maybe you take all of my grad school, mm -hmm. and I just learned how to ask questions that, mm -hmm. you know. And then the rest is just dreaming it up. And then there's a thing, this thing called YouTube. <laughs> you can be like, how do you find this person that's missing? And YouTube will tell you, and you rewrite it. Totally. <laughs> um, when I think about these particular novels, uh, Letter Keeper is the second one, yes, that just came out two and a half weeks ago. I, I, my personal friend question to you is, because you're my friend, I picture you as Murphy Shepard. And because I think you have the heart of a rescuer. I, I experienced that in friendship with you and Christy and the boys, is that you welcome me in. You, that is who y'all are. Do you picture yourself as Murphy Shepard? No. I, I'm writing vicariously through him. It's like if you took my novel, A Life Intercepted. I'm, yeah. I'm writing through this Heisman Trophy winning, national championship winning, number one pick in the draft. So I'm writing vicariously. And Murphy is very much bigger and better. And I would like to think there are parts of my heart that resonate with that rescue thing inside of him. Uh -huh. But, I mean, I've set him up. He's pretty cool. I mean, he's... <laughs> 
And folks who read my books, a lot of times will, will like they'll be in line and I'm signing books and they'll meet me and they're all, you know, they think they're meeting Murphy Shepard. Yeah. Christy's standing there. She's like, no, let me, let me introduce you to my husband, Charles. Yeah, yeah. He's the writer. He made up Murphy Shepard. <laughs> when is the next one? Like, when does it finish? When do you finish writing it? When's it due? When's it come out? My deadline was last week. Whoops, a daisy. Whoopsie daisy. And then I made you fly to Houston. That was my a fun B. conversation with my publisher. But <laughs> I have a track record with him now. I've been early on a lot of books. I, I, you know, and, and it's art. Like, I can't, I am working. They know yeah. me. I'm not, I don't have a golf game, yeah. you know, and I'm working as hard as I know how to work. But stories, stories sometimes don't bubble up clean. Sometimes they, they bubble up dirty and you got to filter through the words that don't need to be there. Sometimes you write 5,000 words only to turn around and delete 4,000 because you got to get those out of the way to get at the 500 that really matter. Mm. And I've, you know, that's part of this process. So what is it about this one that's harder to finish? I think I'm at the end of a, a hard season, not hard between us and not hard, just hard in terms of work. I've written six books now in 30-something months. What? You've written six books in 30 months? Yeah. That's bad math, dude. (laughs) That's too much. So um, one of the things we're praying about is just like, Lord, give me a, I want to take a breath. I love what I do. I don't, there's nothing about me that wants to not do what I'm doing. Right. But like if a pastor, pastors for 20 years, they give him what's called a sabbatical. Right. So that's one of the things we're praying about, you know, and maybe the well from which I write, although I do know what the Lord says about springs of living water bubbling up and out of us. And I do know that there's a throne that comes from the, a river that flows from the throne of God. But for me as a writer and an artist, my well is more like a seep well. Mm. I'm okay with that. I'm not knocking it, but sometimes it needs time to fill back up. Yeah. I would love uh, I would love to get on the other side of the third installment and whatever that looks like and take a deep breath. And I want to write a screenplay for a novel that I wrote. Stop writing things. Take a break. Well, I'm, I'm going to take a break from writing and write a thing. Charles, well, that's not how this works, brother. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for a screenplay, but I just need you to like rest first. I need you all to know something about her. Our... our, our <laughs> Our middle son went, ended up at Belmont for two years, and he's our he's our musical prodigy. And he, you, sh- you should go find John T. Martin on Spotify. He's okay? so good. But John T. and Annie ended up at the same church, yeah. and for some reason, he ended up sitting next to her. And so, literally, like Christy and I are wondering if our boy is okay. And every Sunday at church, John T. walks in, and Annie hugs him and loves on him, and they sit together in church. And so. While we're friends like podcasts and stuff, Christy and I are grateful for what she did in the heart of our boy and just taking care of him when he was nine hours from home and we couldn't, you know what I mean? So thanks for loving our boy. Well, he is easy to love and y'all take me to lunch when you're in town. So I win. I get free sandwiches. It's all for the sandwiches, Charles. Um, Speaking of your boys, your oldest one, Charlie which y'all have got to look at Charles's Instagram sometime and follow him, obviously. Your first son is, has your face. He, well, I used to call That's him... creepy. Totally. I used to call him Mini-Me, yeah. but he's a lot bigger than me now, so I can't, 
I don't know. I don't. I can't do that anymore. But he is. He uh, all the time, especially if you see pictures of me at the, that age. Oh, okay. Twenty three, twenty four. We yeah. look like twins. Yeah. He just got married. He did. I got. They asked. Well, he got married. We got a daughter, and we love yes. Amy. And uh, they asked me to do the wedding, so I got to. I mean, it what was, was it was so like? cool. It was the coolest thing getting to stand there next to my boy, and. Like, be present in that moment and watch his future wife turn the corner. And, you know, I mean, I'm up there just boohooing. <laughs> and I got to get my collective stuff together by the time she gets right here because I'm running this show. That's right. And we had just a lot of fun. And they, you know, they got up there. And I got to, I, I was present enough in the moment where I didn't feel like, well, somebody's tapping their foot. This thing, I was present enough to be able to say, all right, hold it. Yeah. All of these people are here for you. They'll, they'll just, let's take a deep breath. Because that thing you've been waiting for all your life, this is it right here. Yeah. So y'all just enjoy it. Just laugh and we're good. So we had a blast. And there, my, if you go to my Instagram page and you see videos of me dancing, I would just like to preface it with there might have been a little liquid courage that <laughs> preceded that. Brought to you by. <laughs> hey, friends, just taking another short break from this conversation with Charles to give a shout out to one of our newest partners, ZocDoc. Has this ever happened to you? You need to see a doctor. You search and find one that looks good. You wait on hold to book an appointment. You rearrange your schedule. And when you finally go in, you find out that this doctor doesn't even take your insurance. It's so frustrating. Well, welcome ZocDoc. Just download the free ZocDoc app to easily find a great doctor and instantly book your appointment. You can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or video chat. It's easy as that. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or any other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com slash that sounds fun and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. That's because ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. So go to ZocDoc.com slash that sounds fun and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top rated doctor. Many are available as soon as like today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash that sounds fun. And now back to our conversation with Charles. Tell me what you have experienced or know about God after Charlie's wedding that you didn't know before. Jesus is 12. He's on the southern steps of the temple. He's holding forth with all of the religious leaders. Joseph and Mary have just returned after having been a day outside of Jerusalem. They've come back. They've, it's been three days. Mary's pulling her hair out. She finds him. She says, didn't you know that, you're, that we were looking for yes. you? And 12-year-old Jesus, who's holding forth with the brightest that the religious elite can bring forth, says, why were you worried about me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? First time a rabbi had ever called God most high father. And the reason it's the first time is because in Leviticus, the law says you can't do it or we'll stone you. Mm. All of these people around him hear him. And what you see begin is 12-year-old Jesus begins calling himself the son of God and he's my father. Yeah. 
In 21 years from that date, those same people on that same mountain will crucify the man that boy becomes. Why? Because he calls God his father. You ask me what I've learned about watching Charlie get married. I really love my son. I have yeah. loved being his father. I've also loved watching him step into marriage, leave and cleave, get off my Verizon bill, <laughs> and, and own his own relationship with the father. And for us to be able to watch him now walk as priest of his household mm -hmm. with this precious daughter of the king who we love. Yeah. And I don't know that I've, well, maybe we've learned to trust the Lord because we've just had to learn to be quiet in some things. There's been some things that have come up that we've just said, that's not our place. Mm. Um, and maybe learning to trust. There was a thing that came up a week ago with Charlie and his brothers, and it was beautiful. I mean, I normally would have stepped in. It would have been my place. Yeah. Charlie's strong. He's an alpha. He's a leader. He's, you know, it takes me sometimes to confront him. And I, Christy and I just said, you know, let's let the brothers do it. And the brothers did this beautiful thing where they just said, dude, we love you. What's going on? And the yeah. thing that we came in on on the end of the FaceTime was my boys praying for my boy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe there's something in there. But I, you know, you wrote the two nonfiction. What if it's true? And say the second title. They turn the world they upside down. They turn the world upside down. Um, if y'all haven't read those, it, it is really this. It is Charles retelling the Gospels and the book of Acts and kind of inviting us in in a narrative way to Jesus' life. Would you tell us, tell me your favorite story about Jesus? All right, I'll, I'll give you two for the price of one. The first, the, the first is... Um, Jesus and his followers, both men and women, I think there were probably about 120 people walk out of Jerusalem and they retrace backwards the steps he took the night that he was betrayed, arrested, crucified, which I think is significant. And they walk up the Mount of Olives. And I think Jesus was a hugger. I think he was a jungle gym for the kids. Same. I don't think he was disconnected and indifferent and standing over there saying, don't approach. I think Jesus was all up in their business. And I think the kids were all over him. Same. And I think he's walking up the Mount of Olives, loving on his friends, just loving on them because he knows he's about to leave. They don't. And I think it's laughter filled and fun. And they've prayed there a lot. They've probably camped out there a lot. They think they're just going back for one more. They get up there, Jesus steps in the Father's chariot, Haley's comet leaves in his wake. The two angels say, what are you doing here? Right. He's going to return the same way he left. And I think all of those people who were just like us walked down that mountain with one fundamental question on the tip of their tongues, which is, what on earth do we do now? Yeah. He had given him his commands and his authority, but not his power. They get down and a few days later, the roof starts to shake. And those broken people who walk with a limp, just like us, walk into Jerusalem. They love a dying world that hates them. Mm -hmm. And the next thing we know, by the time we get to Acts 16 or 17, Paul and his friends walk into Thessalonica, which is a thousand miles northwest of Jerusalem. You got to go around your elbow to get to your thumb or you got to sail an ocean to get there. Oh, wow. And by the time they get there, the local rulers look at him and say, these are they who have turned the world upside down. Mm 
Another translation says, these are they who have upended the inhabited earth. It's a derogatory term. It's not meant in a, in a, in a kind light. What, what they're saying is these people possess a power that is greater than what Rome possesses, and we're yeah. afraid of them. Yeah. I want that for us. I, I want that. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I believe he's the same then that he is now. And he's doing the same stuff that, he's, that, that he did then. He, I believe that he's doing it now. And I, we are living in a world that is bitter and angry. The love of many is growing cold. I do not want to be one of them. Mm. I don't have the monopoly on that. I, I have my days. Ask Christy. That's one story. Okay. The second is... Anytime Peter gets a chance to open his mouth, he does. I love that man. You cannot know how much I love that man. God bless Peter. But I mean, seriously, Literally. they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus him. is lit up like the sun. He steps in and says, it is good for us to be here. Well, of course it is. Hush. <laughs> I mean, finally, Moses and Elijah made it. He a feeling that he's sharing. He's, it is good for us to be. Boy, Why, shut your mouth. You know his voice was that deep. What are you doing to Peter? So, Why can't he just say, it's good? It's good for us to be here. <laughs> That's so rude. I don't think he sounds like that. The crucifixion occurs. Peter says, Lord, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, I've prayed that when I prayed for that your faith would remain and yeah. you're gonna deny me. And sure enough, Peter does. And so following this, following the following the crucifixion. And even into the resurrection, when you meet Peter, Peter is sort of sitting there spinning his sword on its point by the hilt. And he's brokenhearted because he's betrayed his best friend. And he said he did the very thing he said he would not do. Even after Caesarea Philippi, when he stood up there and he said, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, upon this rock or this, upon this, this proclamation, I will build my church. But we find Peter and he's brokenhearted and he's muted and he's covered in shame because he doesn't feel worthy to do the thing that Jesus told him to do, which is follow me. Yeah. So Peter returns to his former way of life. The, we find him in a boat, undressed down to a loincloth, casting a net for fish, which tells us a lot about him. He doesn't feel worthy to have done the thing. And he's rip, rip, rippled in shame. Yeah. That's all he knows. Notice also he's like the captain of the team because all the other jack wagons are in the boat with him. To be true. And they look out there on the beach and they say, look, it is the Lord. Now, Peter immediately grabs his cloak and wraps it about, about him. Contrast that to Bartimaeus, the blind beggar at the gate in Jericho, who takes it off. Yeah. Bartimaeus has nothing to hide. Oh, my gosh. Peter is covering up. And then he dives in the water. What dummy gets dressed when he's going swimming? <laughs> Listen, you and Peter got to get it together. The two of you are in a bad spot. <laughs> he lands on the shore, and the only thing Peter wants is to be reconciled with his king. Right. All, all he wants is a chance. Coach, give me a chance. And Jesus, in perfect mercy, grace-filled fashion, meets Peter on the beach. But how does he meet him? He meets him with a charcoal fire. Now, look back into Peter's life. The third time that Peter de denied Christ, he's standing at a charcoal fire talking to a slave girl. The smell of burnt charcoal is in his nose when he lands on the beach yes. and he sees Jesus with a charcoal fire. This does not bode well for him. 
He sits down, and I, I've heard this taught a lot of times where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. You know, I don't think that's the way that it occurred. It's All not, the I, guys from the Middle East in your mind have the deepest voices. <laughs> You're an actor. What can I say? Go ahead. Well, I don't think he sounded like a prepubescent girl. That's that? true. I, you know what? You win. Fine. Take it. And he's got this fish on a plate, and I think he hands it to Peter. And in my book, the intimacy with which Jesus does this is he saddles up next to his buddy, and he either locks arms or he put his arm around his shoulder. And I also think he kind of like leans in. And they're like forehead to forehead. And Peter is crushed. Shame is all he knows. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Just feed my sheep. This is what Peter needs to hear because now his king is telling him to do the thing he doesn't feel worthy of doing. And not only does he say it once, but he says it three times to allow him to go back to the three denials mm -hmm. and make the right proclamation. Yeah. And he, 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 he tells him, feed my sheep. Hey, pal, just feed my lambs. And then, as if that's not enough, Jesus is not finished with him. He tells him the one thing that Peter needs to hear. Follow me. And we know from the description of both what we see in Acts and in Peter's own words, he does that. Yeah. Here's what that means for you and me. Upon his resurrection... The first thing that he had to deal with in us is shame because we all got it. Right. All have fallen short of the glory of God and turned his own way. We've all gone astray. That's us. Welcome to planet Earth. Mm -hmm. What the enemy does with that is he then says, well, you're now disqualified. And he right. heaps shame on our shoulders, whether it's your adultery, your divorce, your abortion, your porn addiction, whatever it might be. But the thing that Jesus does in this moment is he eradicates forever the enemy's ability to tell us who we are. Mm. Only the king gets to speak to our identity. Yeah. And he does that with Peter. And he unshackles the shame off of him. And I think that's why I put it first in the book, because he does that with us. And until he takes the shame off of our shoulders and clothes us in this robe of righteousness, mm -hmm. we're not much good in the kingdom. But when he does, when he gives us our identity, he clothes us. Well, then ordinary folks like us who walk with a limp walk out and turn the world upside down. And turning the world upside down is not the goal. It's just the fruit. It's just the fruit. Yeah, I agree. So if you want to fall in love with the Gospels, Read Charles's book, What If It's True? Because you get that over and over and over again. And then they turn the world upside down, tells you what to do with it and keep it going. Are you giving us more nonfiction? Ah, hold on, time out. After you rest, after the screenplay, is there a world where there's more nonfiction or are you novels sold out from here on out? No, I'd love to. I'd love to alternate. I, I was worried about my ability to flip gears in my brain and write fiction and nonfiction, but it, 
I love it. I love doing both. And so as long as they will let me do it, I want to keep doing it. If we're the they, yes. I don't know who the they is, but if we're the they, absolutely. You get to keep doing it. <laughs> also, if you're a pastor of the pod here and I can hand you sabbatical, yours. <laughs> Have it, if I can be a part of that. Um, okay, we are out of time for the show. Can you believe that? Um, Charles, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure I mention? No. <laughs> First, you took a vote from the entire audience. You looked from right to left, and no one gave you anything to say, so it was no. <laughs> okay. This is where the introvert in me, yeah. like, if you, if you could, Christy will tell you this. If I am like an old Apple computer, and if you ask me something like that, you, what you should see is the spinning gear. <laughs> because I'm answering, like a lot of times I'll answer a question in my mind and the answer will run out my arm to my fingers and realize there's no keyboard <laughs> and it'll come back and go out my mouth by default. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I'm totally serious. I know you are. I believe you. <laughs> Luckily I'm in charge. Don't worry. We got it. Um, so because the show is called That Sounds Fun, then as you've done before for us, will you please tell us what sounds fun to you? All right, a couple of things. One is Christy and I are talking about taking our kids to see my sister in Scotland over Christmas. Yes. Provided we can get around all the COVID stuff. Listen, I've been to Scotland at Christmas. The markets, it's unbelievable. You've got to do it. It's absolutely worth it. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Yes. And it, it, it'll kind of come on the heels of this period where I am going to take a breath. And Good. so, I, it, really, you want to know what I want to do? We're going to yes. be in Edinburgh. Yes. Not, no. Um, where is St. Andrews? Yes, it's outside of Edinburgh. You're okay. right. Yeah. Well, I, Chariots of Fire for me yes. and the boys has always been, so we're going to the beach. We're going to strip down to our skivvies <laughs> and do the little running thing. You probably won't see that on Instagram, or you might. I mean, to be determined. Um, do you know when I lived there, the church that I worked for was met in the Eric Little Center. Really? That is the building we were in. So he is a, I mean, what a hero for those people. The second thing that's been fun lately is... Um, some of you are not, you're going to, we bought a Peloton. Oh, actually, I know this because you are shouting from the rooftops on your Instagram about these teachers that you love. Well, that, yeah, that's Matt Wilper. And he's, <laughs> he's like crushing me. But I want to share, I want to share with you briefly the story of getting the Peloton. Great. Shows up at our house. Wait, just shows up at your house? Well, we ordered it and okay, they delivered thank you. It. I was like, that feels like Santa. Sorry, I skipped. I'm chronological. We <laughs> ordered it and several days later they delivered That's it. That's how it works. Yep. Put it in our garage and, and I, I did it and, and it's great. And But Christy really has never like, this is not her thing. Okay. So she comes out and she says, well, help me figure it out. So I get her fitted and I make all the adjustments and get the screen all set up and yeah. get her a login and all that. Sure. And she says, okay. So she starts doing this class and I don't want to be out there like Cause I'm excited for her, and I, but I, I like I go inside and I, I like make myself go away. I come back about 29 minutes later, and <laughs> give or take, <laughs> I when I get in the garage, my middle son John T, the musician, yes. is standing over Christy holding her hair back. What, Christy? She's over the trash can. No. What did you do? You just strapped her in and left her. I, I said, "Honey, what's going on?" And she says. 
Well, I was second on the leaderboard. Oh, my girl. My girl. Christy Martin, I like you the most. That is impressive. Um, Charles, as always, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being a pastor to us and, and such a good friend to our show. I, I just, I appreciate you doing what is not as comfortable for you on behalf of us and the gospel and, and what we do. So thank you very, very much. You guys, isn't he wonderful? My gosh, it's literally like sitting down with a storyteller and a pastor every time. The audience was on the edge of their seats, as was I, and I bet you were too as you listened. What a great dude. We're so grateful for him. Hey, be sure to grab a copy of his new novel, The Letter Keeper. If you haven't read The Water Keeper, you need that one too. They're available now. And give him a follow. Remember, he's storied career on Instagram. You can tell him thank you so much for being on the show today. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And I'll do the same. Have a great week. We'll see you back here on Friday as our live shows continue with Matt and Lauren Chandler. Yeah.